Monday, it's May 1st, and this is episode 49 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Jason Cooper, research analyst, joins us. Hello. Hey, Danny. Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Welcome to you. Good morning. You know, I happen to be out running some errands on Saturday and I uh, happened to catch a radio piece from Amy Bremer talking about clients that are struggling with this transition from the accumulation to the depletion phase. And that kind of got my mind going a little bit. You know, all the headlines you see, especially when you think of the major financial news channels, really drive fear. And fear can cause some really negative reactions. It's incredibly easy to become overly fearful of the future, especially when you see all the headlines coming in, the debt ceiling, bank failures, you know, all these things. But you know, I want to give a shout out to our wealth managers because I know they do an excellent job at building these individualized financial plans. And more importantly, you know, for all of our clients in the long term, sticking to those plans, even through these times of crisis, you know, I think this is where wealth managers are, you know, worth their weight in gold, you know, keeping everyone calm and invested properly and focused more on the future and not worrying so much about the day-to-day headlines that could really drive some poor decision-making otherwise. And then speaking of fear, you know, JP Morgan's stepping in and buying most of First Republic's <laughs> assets this morning after uh, U.S. regulators seized them. And it, it looks like $173 billion in assets, $30 billion in securities, and $92 billion in deposits. And kind of to Ken's point, sticking to your plan, when you have this opportunity, I, I guess via uncertainty, you should really look at it from a positive side too. And maybe we'll even touch on JP Morgan when we get to opportunities then. But with respect to upcoming economic data, we've got ISM manufacturing. We're looking for a 46.7 handle based on analyst estimates. So that's still contracting. We have jolts. They're expected to come down from last month. You know, they peaked last year at 11.8 million, and it's kind of been hanging out at that 11 million mark uh, with prospects of a recession and the labor market being resilient. It shouldn't be surprising to see that drop to the long run moving average of about 8 million. Now we've got Wednesday, the ISM services, and, and the real big print on the week is going to be that Fed meeting. It's anticipated to be the last hike of the cycle. So we'll see if that holds. And then we have some additional labor market data coming out Thursday and consumer credit coming out Friday. And again, that's fuel for the the economy. And we'll see if it's contracting or expanding. And we'll also get a print from the non-farm payrolls report. So I think I'll just jump right in the strengths here. Technology, and especially kind of the, the larger big tech names, they've performed really well so far. Microsoft, Google, and Meta, um, all with pretty strong earnings beats and in particular strong showings out of Meta and Microsoft. Meta is benefiting from greater ad spend due to this Reels function they've got now, uh, which is kind of a TikTok competitor. Microsoft just continued spending on Azure, which is their, their data center piece. Really strong performances from them. NASDAQ continues to outperform the S&P 500 for the year, um, especially in the heels of that. Consumer also showing some resiliency here too, added 2.5% to the first quarter uh, 2023 growth. Although growth was kind of you know tepid at 1.1%, inventory is detracted 2.5%. So starting to see some inventory softening, which in the long run will be good. Retailers are continuing to right size those inventory levels and you know work off the excess. But there are starting to be a couple of cracks in the labor market, as Jason alluded to. Um, but personal income is actually still growing at a faster rate month over month than inflation. So on a relative basis, the consumer is going to improve off of that. And that's almost a relatively recent change too. For a while you'd had, I think it was almost two years where even though we saw wages rising at a rapid pace, it was undershooting the rate of inflation. And when you think about that, you have more money, but your money can buy fewer and fewer goods. So it doesn't really feel like you're getting a wage increase. But once you start to see that month over month income tick up past the rate of inflation, then your purchasing power improves and you actually have the ability to buy more goods or services. 
home builders real quick. Um, continuing to do really strong, kind of despite lower total home sales. In the, in the housing market, you are starting to see people kind of locked into housing. Um, you know, like if you've got a two and a half percent mortgage at a house you're okay with, you're short of something like a job change that's making you move cities. Really, no incentive to sell to go take out a mortgage at you know six six and a half percent. So there's less existing home sales based off the you know kind of on the heels of that, which means if someone's new to the housing market, they're kind of forced into the the, the new builds for the most part. You know, nothing's an absolute. Right. In addition, so not only have you seen total inventory of homes lower, which is driving a tailwind for for the home builders, but the home builders are also reconfiguring the floor plans and the profitability at these new floor plans is actually looking like it's going to be higher than when they were selling some bigger homes and the costs for some of those homes like lumber were substantially higher because now you have that tailwind of costs coming down. The other big news item from last week was uh, the House Republicans passing a bill to raise the debt ceiling, a one and a half trillion increase and would pay about four point eight trillion in spending over the next decade. Although this bill's basically dead on arrival on the Senate, the fact that all the Republicans are at least in a row really helps increase the chances of a deal being struck. Yeah, you know, if you've got five different segments all trying to reach a deal, that's a lot tougher than you know just the Republicans versus the Democrats. The last one I'll go into here is you know the financial conditions index is loosening a bit. The Treasury general account balance increased through taxes just past the April 15th mark, so all that cash flow in. And the lack of compromise really leads to less debt issuance, which is a net liquidity enhancement. When you think about the Treasury general account, it's effectively like the bank account for the government. So they benefit when tax receipts come in. And if they don't have enough receipts to cover expenditures, then they have to go into the market and issue debt to, to have capital to, to inject into you know the non-discretionary and discretionary expenditures. But right now, with the fact that that's up, it kind of prevents them from having to go into the market, which is good because we really don't have the capacity to increase our, our debt past this debt ceiling limitation. Jason, you want to take us over to weaknesses? The main area that I think we should talk about is market breadth. When you think about breadth, it's effectively the percentage of securities that are advancing versus the total number of issues. And what you want to see generally in a strong market is strong participation. And we haven't really seen that recently. So a couple of headlines from recent earnings calls, I mean, specifically in cybersecurity, you saw comments that there have been there have been an elongation to the sales cycle. And we heard that comment really starting in like the third quarter of last year. So the fact that it's persisting and maybe even lengthening might be an indication that chief financial officers are really stretching out what they would perceive to be a return to a normally functioning economy. There's just too much uncertainty there. And then another area, we talked about the inability of consumers to increase purchasing power based on trailing inflation levels exceeding wage inflation. And that was really driven home when a lot of these non-durable staples companies reported. So you think about like a Kimberly Clark or a Unilever, a Procter and Gamble. These are companies that are selling toilet paper, Kleenex, some ice cream bars, just little things that you kind of need to get through the day. And they had, <laughs> well, a, you know me, I need that. I especially need the ice cream bar. My wife can attest to that. But you saw a blowout in earnings, but it was at the expense of volume. So you saw price increases of approximately 10% and volume reductions of 5 to 6%, not across almost all geographies and all of the product lines too, which was kind of concerning. And as you go on a go-forward basis, if you were to have volumes continue to be challenged without that tailwind for pricing, it could lead to poorer earnings on a go-forward basis. And just thinking about breadth as well, 
you know, the average stock in the S&P, despite the market being up probably close to 10% this year, it's it's maybe up 1 or 2%. You have three sectors that are dominating, discretionary, communications, and technology. Then you have six sectors that are actually lower. You've got industrials, utilities, healthcare, real estate, financials, and energy. You've got the fewest number of stocks outperforming the S&P 500 over the trailing three months than over, I don't know, at least the last 30 years. So it's a, a significant narrowing in the market. And then even tech at the broader level is weak. So you look at the last two weeks and the net relative lows versus highs, it's the worst performing sector we've seen. And this is a very short time horizon. Tech is still doing very well on a year-to-date basis, but it is a bit disconcerting how narrow that sector has become. Yes, it's interesting because it almost, not not to this extent, but I'd say almost mirrors what you're seeing in financials a bit where the companies that are really got the fortress balance sheets are in a position of power at the moment, while you know, more of your kind of speculative tech or, or you know your more growthier tech is really underperformed. And speaking of you know those fortified balance sheets, Ken, maybe that's an area to turn to for opportunities. Opportunities remain yields and quality, you know, which is something we've preached on this podcast and elsewhere for several months at this point now. But the uncertainty, you know, no better time than to, to increase the quality of your holdings, right? You look for those companies that have lower levels of indebtedness with rates where they are, so you don't have that refinancing risk. Companies that have high profitability, good margins, so that you know, if there's a margin contraction, we're still in a pretty solid state. And less earnings volatility, you know, things that are basically required for daily living as opposed to Spending that is a lot more discretionary um, in nature. You know, JP Morgan is kind of the perfect example. We alluded to them maybe being an opportunity, but it's not opportunity with respect to this specific company, but maybe an opportunity to demonstrate the appeal of investing in higher quality businesses. And that appeal is that in a period of economic uncertainty, this is a business that stopped share buybacks in the summer of last year because they saw storm clouds on the horizon. They had a great management that raised capital. They issued loans at probably appropriate rates of return. And then they didn't go out and buy, you know, long duration securities when interest rates were sub 2%. And this gave them the financial flexibility when a deal presented itself like it did this morning to step in and really make a buy that has the capacity to benefit their shareholders over the long term, as opposed to playing that short time preference game that a lot of banks have played. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like market volatility provides you know, opportunity for, for your, your, your great investors, your sharper investors, the same thing for companies and management teams as we head into these volatile times, you know, management that's been able to, to kind of see what's coming and prepare for it. You know, they're, they're going to be in fantastic shape going forward. And, you know, probably acquisitive in a lot of spaces, not just financials. One last opportunity we'll highlight, and again, it's another thing we've talked about here. You know, we've got our last rate hike, most likely, coming this week. But in the end, that means more yield on your money market mutual funds. So once again, you're kind of paid to wait through this volatility. And again, just stress the importance of, of sticking to the plan. Unfortunately, it looks like we have a few more threats than opportunities, but <laughs> always important to pay attention to, to, to risk. And one thing that we've noticed, U.S. credit default swaps are on the rise. The six-month swap has risen 156 basis points over the last month. The current level is about 261, and that far out exceeds the 80 basis point level that we saw in 2011 and 2013 uh, when we actually had a debt downgrade. Obviously, the debt ceiling uncertainty has got to be 
impacting this, but it seems like more than we had seen historically. So it's something to definitely keep an eye on. I think it's probably a combination of debt ceiling. We've got bank failures happening all over the place, which you, you didn't really have in the, that 2011 and 2013 scenario at rates much higher than we saw then and, infl- and an inflation problem too, right? So it, I, I think all those things playing together is probably why we're seeing this jump. And frankly, you know, markets seem to be a lot more speculative lately, <laughs> and, and that's not the most liquid of markets, so that could be driving it too. And, and speaking about you know, economic conditions, you've had the leading economic indicator negative for 12 months, and over the past 50 years, that only occurred in 1974, 1980, and 2000 weren't exactly great times for the economy. Resolution of the debt ceiling, from a market perspective, this is actually bearish. And we talked about the Treasury General account and how it's actually an injection of liquidity right now. But if that's resolved, you're going to have the opposite thing. I I saw headlines that you could see, you know, 1.1 to 1.5 trillion dollars of bill issuance, in which case that's sapping liquidity from the system. Yeah, exactly. You know, investors putting their money with the government and taking it out of the market. You know, that'll naturally drive you know, prices down. Then we, we've seen consumption continuing to deteriorate to a degree. I mean, we talked about the volumetric shipments for some of these non-discretionary purchases like diapers and, and Kleenex, but it's almost like we have a two economies here because spending on travel and entertainment is so strong, but the fact that volumetric shipments of diapers is, is down is disconcerting. I mean, that's got to be a very challenging environment for, for parents to choose to withhold that type of purchase. And then you still have individuals buying money market mutual funds. And it's something we've been advocating internally at Annex to to our clients because we act as fiduciaries. But that's just a sap on bank deposits. And you can continue to see as money transfers from bank deposits to money market mutual funds, banks tightening lending standards and the ramifications there are lower economic growth. So we always end the podcast, we go around the room and we check out our headlines. What's our headline strength? Big tech earnings, incredibly strong. Headline weakness? Market breadth has been weak. Headline opportunity? Yields and quality. And our headline threat? Everyone loves the debt ceiling. Ken Bellinger, senior trader, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. Thanks, Danny. Jason Cooper, our research analyst, thank you. Thank you, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.